0: Ed, all I'm saying is that if our own people can't get access to their programs, well, you know how frustrating it is when you're working on a piece of research. Walter, I sympathize, but I have data coming from the master control program telling me there's something screwy going on around. Okay, let's go.
1: Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait You Haven't Seen, and it's a show where we talk about movies. And specifically, we talk about movies at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis. This is episode number 72. The movie that we watched this week was Tron, and joining me from the More You Nerd podcast is Miles. Hello. Hi. And Drew.
2: Hey. Hey.
1: And Drew. You had never seen Tron before, I guess. I technically had never two seen Tron ago.
2: before. Oh yeah, that's right. Because you, we had you to talk about Tron and Tron Legacy on our show last week.
1: Yeah, um, but I thought this was a perfect opportunity to talk about it with you again because I love these movies. So um, it's a ton of fun. So how how is it that you had seen Tron Legacy but not Tron? I'm curious about that.
2: Well, Tron Legacy came out when. I was an adult and could easily go to movie theaters with my own car and all of that. <laughs> and it was also something new. Disney was pushing it really heavily and the Daft Punk soundtrack was everywhere and
0: I had friends who had grown up seeing Tron. And and that's that's a good point because the way Disney marketed this movie you you never felt like you had to have seen the first film. Like there were definitely trailers that showed like you know, just still in this but you never felt if you hadn't seen the first one you were being left out true
2: and i will i will say i did have some experience with tron because i played kingdom hearts 2
1: oh right yes um and there was a tron level in that right a tron world
2: uh space paranoids they called it
1: ah see that's a that's a nice deep cut too because you might recognize visually but Space Paranoids is like a deep cut in Tron as well.
2: They they even had uh, Bruce Boxleitner do the voice. Oh, that's awesome.
1: I love stuff like that. He apparently he must love the character of Tron because he has been every iteration of Tron I can think of. Like anytime you see the name Tron, it's Bruce Boxleitner.
2: Maybe I think I think, will... think he probably has some appreciation for us. I, I do think that Disney probably ponied up a little bit. I'm sure
0: I mean yeah I'm sure it's a factor but at the same time how many times do you get to be like the hero you know especially an actor like him he's not someone who you think oh that guy would have been Captain America in the 80s you know
1: no, but he could this have is been. His like,
0: to be a big hero
1: yeah um and at, I do want to talk a little bit about that whole like the hero and Tron thing in a little while but let, let's start with the cast and we'll start with Bruce Boxleitner because he gets to play Tron and it's interesting you say being Captain America in the 80s because you almost, I mean, I could see it. He's the blonde haired, blue eyed. You know, he's got the square jaw.
0: Um, yeah, well, I mean, if you look at the 1991 movie that had uh, Jenny Stallinger's son.
1: Do we have to talk about that, really? Did you have to bring that up? I mean, Ned Beatty is yeah. like the best thing about that movie. And if Ned Beatty is the best thing about a movie, it's probably not a very good movie. I have, two words Travis, about, I, ha- I have two words about 1991's Captain America. Okay? Two words. Rubber ears. <laughs> I'm done.
0: I've warned you that I love trash.
1: You have. You have warned so, me
0: about You should not be surprised that I bring up 1991's Captain America.
1: I remember <laughs> or seeing... Or Dolph
0: Lundgren's Punisher.
1: oh, oh. I would rather watch Dolph Lundgren's Punisher any day than that Captain America movie again. I tried rewatching it because it was on YouTube, but it was broken up into sections, so it was like ten minutes at a time. Yeah, I, I made it through that. like one or two of them, and I'm like, nope, I'm sorry, I'm <laughs> out, I'm tapping out. You know, to be
0: perfectly honest, the Dolph Lundgren, Pun- Dolph Lundgren Punisher movie would have been fine if he had had the outfit. Otherwise, it's a perfectly serviceable action movie from 1989.
1: Yeah, that's true. Or whatever came out. That's true.
0: But if he had the if he had the skull shirt, I think most people would have been fine with it.
1: Yeah, I guess I could see that. Um. So okay. So Bruce Boxleitner is Tron, and and Alan Bradley in the real world. Um. So he gets to play two roles. Uh. I liked him at, in both of them. Honestly, I I think he had some weird, goofy lines to have to read in the first part, like the first. So the first half hour of this movie takes place in the real world, most more or less. There's a little bit in the computer world, and then there's a long stretch. But he had like just some weird... Comparing Kevin Flynn to Santa Claus at one point, um, there was that one, and there was another line he had that that made me laugh. And I was just like, wow, they this is like some George Lucas-level dialogue, and they just ran with it. They're like, nope, you just yeah. read what's on the page. Bruce, just read what's <laughs> on the he page. He
0: delivers it with such a, a genuine... I don't know what he's got but charisma yeah and it works
1: no it's one of those
2: situations i like alan i like what he does i think it's very interesting that he's so jealous of kevin flynn Mm -hmm. but he seems to be a better programmer
1: (laughs) kind of yeah
0: well, you know, it depends on what kind of programmer. Because we've seen that Flynn is an amazing video game designer. This is true. So maybe his his area of expertise is not necessarily invasive hacking. You know. Yeah. But so so
2: to go back to Alan, he's so jealous of Flynn, and he's so jealous of Flynn's relationship with Laura. And, but but if you look at the th- the the programs that they have made. Clue that Flynn has made talks very much like this roboty and Tron is a f- much more of a full-fledged program.
1: Yeah, although I re-watched again to, to capture some audio, and I noticed that Clue does that for kind of the first bit of it, and then then he loosens up and his whole like the the scene with him with the master control program he's he's very natural speaking it was kind of an inconsistent performance from Jeff Bridges as far as what clue was in this yeah
0: oh i think, so I think some of that is what they filmed is,
2: first and
1: yeah that could be too
0: well but as we talked about last week on uh, the more you nerd he's at operating outside of the system mm-hmm. you know and so the whole reason he wants to go to NCOM is so that he can go into the system. And I feel like that might be part of the reason why Clue is a little submitted. Yeah, But also, I, I also feel that, he, that he's not the same kind of programmer as Alan and Alan's been working with the system to create Tron. So Tron works a lot better as, I don't know, something as the movie, fortunate to be some sort of chosen one, you know. He's the one that has been yeah. designed specifically to get rid of uh the Master program.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he's well, yeah, and that's one one part of it is that Tron is definitely created as a uh is a security program meant to um kind of police the entire system including the MCP, which who knows. Um but yeah, overall, I thought Alan, uh, Alan Bradley and Tron. I thought Box Lightner was good as those. It's only, it's the only thing I think of him from. I know you mentioned before about um, knowing Brock, ca- Box Lightner from was it Babylon Five?
2: Babylon Five. He's yeah. Captain Sheridan.
1: And and part of it is that I didn't watch a lot of Babylon Five, so I know that he was in it, but it wasn't like a huge show for me. But man, he pops up in something, and all I can think of is it's Tron
2: that that is something that he does now after after having seen it and i would i would say Tron Legacy but he's barely in Tron Legacy
1: yeah kind kinda, of sorta? i mean yeah he's definitely not in it for very long um and like the character isn't and he's he's in it as Alan Bradley more than he is as Tron
2: yeah but it, which which is so funny because not to not to spoil Tron Legacy but I could recognize his voice now, and I couldn't the first time I saw it.
1: <laughs> right, yeah, that, right. That that makes a huge difference. Um, <laughs> so Jeff Bridges is Kevin Flynn, um, young hotshot programmer gets fired from NCOM and and opens an arcade and and all of this, and he's trying to break into the system to get his stuff. This is a, a young uh, Jeff Bridges. I love Jeff Bridges, so I do. You know, I I Same. love him in everything I've seen him in, and he's great in this. Uh, I think Kevin Flynn is an interesting character because he is kind of. He's the younger version of uh, what Jeff Bridges kind of morphs into when he became sort of that uh, zend out dude character that he plays a lot of later in his career. He's a younger version of that. So he's a lot more high strung. He's a lot more high energy, but he still has like that kind of coming off the hippie mentality. You know, he's he's very much about like free systems, free data. He wants his data. Um, I, I just
2: yeah. He's, he's maybe a, a little more that... worried about money than than he w- would be later.
0: Mm-hmm. That's well, true. Well, because I mean, if he saw how successful his games were, and they were stolen from him, so I mean, it makes sense that he's a little worried about that because he could be living a different life.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and apparently he does by the end of the movie. Although we'll talk about the ending a little bit later, <laughs> uh, or lack thereof. Um, those are really like your main kind of actors. I guess the other main would be, um, David Warner as both Ed Dillinger, senior vice president of whatever, uh, the command program, Sark and the voice of the master control programs. He was doing triple duty in this movie and, and, and just, oh, David Warner, just give me all the David Warner. You can like, I will take all of it. I don't care if he's playing. The professor from TGRI in in Turtles two. I don't care if he's oh uh, I don't care if he's a Klingon in Star Trek six. I don't care if he's an ambassador in Star Trek five, like or a Cardassian in Star Trek the Next Generation. Apparently, he just was like friends of with Trek. Roddenberry, I guess.
0: <laughs> uh, but and that's that's fine. I mean, he he and. Jeffrey Combs can probably swap stories. Oh, I'm sure. Although I, I guess no one really <laughs> wants to be in Star Trek V. <laughs>
1: no. no. No one wants to mention that they were in Star Trek V. Uh, but, man, he's he's so good. And he gets to play different. Ver- like, Dillinger is very different from Sark. And I have to give the movie credit for this. For, for the smaller budget that it had. Um, because a lot of the budget went to the visuals of it, Right. But you get, you get these actors that are able to portray two uh, different types of characters, or in, in his case three, believably, without it being caricatures, right? Without it being like mm. these, these very right. um, yin and yang. It's, Sark is different from Dillinger, but he's not diametrically opposed. He's just kind of aspects of one character that are amplified. And I, I like that uh, quite a bit, actually.
2: Well and, and you bring up something that I find very interesting about all of this is that you have the people in the real world and they are playing the their analogs for lack of a better term uh, like like there's a piece of them in the code that they're writing.
1: Yeah.
0: And I yes. really dig that. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I want I want to dig into that a little bit uh drew because you, this is the first time you'd seen this movie. And I didn't, I didn't glean into this too much on our show because I wanted to save it for this one. So I kind of wanted to get your actual reaction to seeing that for the first time, having not seen Tron before. You know, I, I, I don't know.
2: I, it, it's something that I, I think because I'd seen Legacy, there might have been something that had, I, I kind of knew. Gave an idea ahead of time. about that would have happened. Yeah, but but it just it it's something that I thought was a clever storytelling way to make s- that made sense.
1: Yeah, and and one of the things that I like about the way they did that is, A, it saves on cast and it makes it gives you an anchor point, right? If you're going to have these two distinct worlds, you need to have something that's going to make them feel the same. I think that's one thing with Legacy that I felt was missing was outside of Jeff Bridges playing um, Kevin Flynn and Clue 2.0 you didn't have that double duty from everybody, from anybody. So Right. You know, technically Alan Bradley and Tron, but Tron's barely in that movie. So it was one of those where there was no analogue for Sam, and he's kind of our protagonist. He's the one that we're supposed to be um So I I just I liked that about this first movie a little bit more is you had It gave you something to kind of latch on to, even if you didn't realize it at first. When I was a kid, I didn't realize that the character of the um, whatever the Guardian guy was that's got like, you know, he's got the big hat. The
2: super big hat.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Like, I didn't put two and two together that he was the same as the old guy that the clip I played at the beginning of the show was from who had started Encom. Like, it just didn't make sense to me at the time, but I saw this the first time. I was probably five or six years old, so I didn't make that connection. Um, I see it now well, and it's like, well, that's even, even better.
2: Even the, the, the Ram character, mm-hmm. he's another guy in the office Yeah, who's got like half a scene.
1: Uh, he has, yes, he has one line and it's one of the funniest lines ever, which is just asking for popcorn.
2: <laughs> I believe his he's credited as popcorn coworker. Yeah. And I
1: love, <laughs> like, that was one of the things with the early parts of this was when I talked about some of the, like, the weird dialogue was that like, Alan gets up from his desk to go meet with Dillinger because he's told he needs to. And this coworker just stands up from the queue behind him. Hey, Alan, can I, can I take some of your popcorn?
2: <laughs> okay. It's almost I like mean, you had to have him there so that you could explain why that same person was also in the computer world.
1: Yeah. But honestly, did you know that without looking it up? Cause
2: no, there's no way. There's no
1: way I would have known that without looking it up, that it was the same guy. However, the actor that played him, Dan Shore, We've seen, or at least I've seen in something else. Uh, he was Billy the Kid in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah,
1: I know. I found that out and I was like, holy crap. So I was kind yeah, of, yeah,
0: cool. we, we, had, we had talked about doing those for the franchise fellas, but the third movie's ha- actually happening. So, right,
1: <laughs> yeah, just 20 years later, I guess more than that 25, you know what? 29 I, I
0: years later. I did that for some of these movies because, like, with Bill and Ted specifically. It honestly works better for the narrative if everyone takes place 20 years later.
1: Yeah. Well, and Tron and Tron Legacy was, was interesting in how they worked out waiting so long to make a sequel to it. And I, I will be curious to see how they do with the proposed Tron 3 that's going to be made in continuing the story. Because I love the world that they built with Tron. I yeah, think it's a neat yeah, sure. idea. It's You have to take some obvious leaps in logic and you have to look at computers through the lens of 1982. And these are very much a closed system mainframe and terminals. So, which is why it's interesting when the master control program is talking about, Oh, I've accessed the Pentagon and Oh, I've accessed the Kremlin. Yeah. Because, it's like how, Yeah, you have to wonder how,
0: <laughs> well, um, they've, they've, I mean, the, the same works for, for him because how is he in there from hit, from his Clint's arcade computer that he was using?
1: yeah they they didn't they they did not explain how he's able to connect to the system being not uh an employee there anymore but again, you can they, hand wave they, a little was, bit of that pr- away.
2: there was proto internet yeah. at the, at this point the, there the... was
1: and I guess if he had worked there for long enough, he probably could have you know figured out ways to do the connection, which is why again I just I don't question it and I let it I let it kind of slide but it's it's fun to bring stuff like that up um
2: it's It's well, weird that I'd only question it because I put it back then. Yeah. If I what didn't put it back then, I would have just assumed that internet.
1: Right. That's true. Um, I loved to like the master control program would would always sign off with end of line, and that's great because that's like old school programming where you had to put that in. Yeah. Um and the the master control program was interesting because again it's it's David Warner doing the voice. Um he's not in it a whole lot. He's very much like a Sauron type of villain. Right. He's sort of the all seeing eye of like, yeah, he's this big, like weird, amorphous thing that runs the system. Yet all this stuff can go on without his knowledge um, with these other programs and things. So both all knowing and super ineffective at the same time.
2: <laughs> but I mean, that's it is still mean. funny to me. David Warner talking. to David Warner. <laughs> yes. I, I mean, to, I hate that, not to go back to that because we just talked about it, but it's just it's very funny.
1: Oh no, it's great, and yeah. honestly, those are some of my favorite scenes: are the master control program talking to SARK, and then him talking to Dillinger.
0: Well, and it's uh, the other characters' reactions that give the master control program his power, because if you just see that one image of what he is, yeah, it doesn't really work so well but because everyone reacts with such fear, it makes you take that spinning top seriously.
1: Yeah. No, that's true. Um, plus, I think taking his voice, taking David Warner's voice, which is already very um, distinct and very like biting, and then drop that pitch super low and make it more yeah. menacing, I think really works. Yeah, yeah. And And what I liked was... You could see where Dillinger, while while Dillinger is sort of the human antagonist of the movie, he's not all bad, right? Like he's ruthless and he wants he wants the he wants stuff for himself and he's selfish. But when he finds out that the MCP is ac- accessing the Pentagon and the Kremlin, he's like, "Wait a minute, whoa! This is way more than you should be doing." And the the MCP is just like, "I'm I'm beyond you already. I could end you at any moment." And, you know, he threatens him. And you get a moment from Dillinger of like, okay, guess I got to go along with this because I don't have a choice.
0: (laughs) Right.
2: Where Dillinger is much more Sark than MCP.
0: Yes. Yeah. And when Dillinger is kind of your typical 80s villain, the the corporate greedy, you know, OCP type of villain, Mm -hmm. where he, he may not be completely inhumane, but he's mostly an awful person. Oh, yeah. like he like, like for me, he probably doesn't want the MCP to, to get control of the Pentagon because he knows somehow I could get him into big trouble. Not, not necessarily that he thinks it's a bad idea.
1: Yes, absolutely no he I, I am in no way saying that Dillinger isn't a bad guy because he totally is. He just it was that fear in his face of like oh I've I have let the genie out of the bottle and I am screwed now <laughs> um, that I liked. I liked that and you sort of got a little bit of that from Sark when the MCP mentions, Oh, I've got a new thing for you. It's not a program. It's a user. And even Sark who at this point in the movie, they have sort of established, he, he has his speech about, Oh, if you believe in the users type of thing, you know, cause there's this whole underlying sort of religious debate that I found. Right. I wish there would have been more of with the, the users and the programs where there are programs that don't believe in the users, but there are programs that believe in the users and that's who wrote them. Um, it's kind of a neat philosophical idea that they sort of tried to explore in legacy as well, but they just never, they, it was like, they would put their toe in the water of this and then be like, but I don't think we want to do this. So we'll just, it back feels
2: like something it. that was in an early draft of the movie that they, yes. that the, the director really wanted to make sure was in there, but they kept pairing it back and pairing it back and pairing it back. And so that's, that's a good way to put it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was, especially with Tron legacy. I mean, they were very aware of of the Matrix, and they wanted to do everything they could to differentiate themselves from that. They didn't want to associate themselves with the Matrix at all. I feel if you brought that aspect to the forefront, you did a lot of Matrix comparisons, and they, they actively did not want to engage
1: that. True, and you would get, unfortunately, a bunch of people that would say, oh, Tron Legacy is ripping off the Matrix, when you could then say, well, the Matrix ripped off the idea from Tron in the first place, because right. Flynn is essentially Neo. In a, in, yeah, in well, a the lot cool of thing ways. about
0: those stories is they, they tell similar stories of, you know, a person in the, the computerscape. They do it so differently. Like, you can have Tron and the Matrix telling stories in a similar fashion mm-hmm. or maybe as a genre. In the same way that you can say, oh, you have Lord of Rings and you have King Arthur, you know?
1: Yeah, no, I'm, w- I'm with you on that. I think that they can both exist, but you would definitely get people that would say, oh, this is just ripping off that. And it's unfortunate because they're both good stories. They just, they borrow some themes from each other.
2: Yeah. I mean, good artist copy, great artist steal.
1: It's true. It's very true.
2: Yeah. <laughs> we could have that whole conversation about the Matrix.
0: Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Let's, yeah. Let's not that go down that right. whole, whole kind of <laughs> um, um, One thing I really do appreciate about Tron is... Because so few movies do this now, it really takes its time. like it establishes everything. Mm-hmm. We're not in the grid until about 35 minutes in the movie.
1: right and then the movie's only an hour and a half long. yeah yeah. So which,
0: which uh, drew noted, was way too short. I got a text from him that says there's only an hour left.
1: yes. yeah and that was something that I thought with this movies I talk about this a lot with movies on this show whether they're too long, they're too short they feel like they're the right amount of time. A lot of times, I think movies kind of hit that right, that right moment. They, they pair themselves down. Yeah. Tron is one that at a blissfully quick hour and a half, you could stretch it out to two hours and give us more story, and I would not have a problem with it at all. Um,
2: but, there, but there's a balance with that. I feel like they got pretty much, I could see maybe hour 45. Without yeah. it feeling a little too too much. Now, obvi- obviously, we should probably talk a little bit about the the actual look of this movie, which is probably why it was only ninety minutes long. Oh, yeah, and that's <laughs> the, the yeah the backlit six hours animation
0: to render one frame. Yeah.
2: So so this this movie is known for its iconic style of the glowing lines on people's costumes and all of that. But I didn't I had to look up how this this worked. Yeah, it's so they crazy. filmed this Yeah, they filmed the entire movie in black and white, and then they just literally animated lines on every frame.
1: Yeah, but they did it and in a really interesting way. So they would shoot everything black and white, and then they would print out the the, the quote unquote negative was a positive that they would then print as a negative frame. And they would take these negative frames and they would stack them up on each other and shine lights through to create the glow. And so it was this weird like sandwiching that they had going on. It's a really strange rotoscope and animation type of thing that they were doing that I don't know of another movie that's done it. I can't think of anything else that's used that In technique. that
2: way, no. Apparently, that, that style had been done for a lot of stuff in the 70s. Like, anytime you saw, like, the lines coming out from a source that had, like, a sort of sparkly rainbow effect, mm-hmm. that was all done in kind of the same way.
1: Yeah, rotoscoping itself isn't anything new, even at this time. Because um, I'd seen rotoscoping in the uh, Ralph Bakshi 1970s Lord of the Rings. Um, I think rotoscoping goes back quite a ways it was just the way that they did it and with the glow that they were able to create and and the fact that they changed the color scheme halfway through production too which is even crazier originally (laughs) good programs were yellow bad were blue um they changed it at one point and then evil ones became red uh sometimes you caught like shots that were sort of hadn't been changed like somebody would be slightly green or
2: uh, the the whole light cycle sequence is the wrong colors.
1: Yeah, yep. Um,
0: which is funny because like even if you hadn't told me who the good and bad guys were, if you had just like put those two characters on the screen and asked me which one's the, the villain, and which one's the hero, I would have naturally chosen blue for whatever reason.
1: Yeah, blue is a color I think that we just naturally gravitate to. Um, it's why you see it a lot in uh, graphic design in companies like Twitter and Facebook and Microsoft that all want to use blue in their logos and their all their uh, icons and everything. Um, for whatever reason, we'd, navigate, we'd gravitate towards that as like a good color and red's more of an aggressive color. So it right. tends you know, to be your, your evils.
2: It's weird. Most superheroes are blue or have some blue.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of that.
0: Well, even in Star Wars, you have the blue lightsaber and the red lightsaber mm-hmm. in the first film. Very good point. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's very much like shorthand for um, good and evil. But So I think it was interesting that they were going to flip that originally and then decided to change it. Uh, the, the visuals in this movie are just fantastic. I mean, it's a yeah. really iconic look and it's recognizable. If you've seen Tron, you know that look. Even if you haven't seen Tron, you've seen it in pop culture, whether it's Tron guy from the early 2000s or <laughs> – you know you mentioned uh Kingdom Hearts and putting a uh, space paranoids world um, there were there's been a few uh short films or TV series uh video games. actually, the video games based on this movie outgrossed the movie, apparently back in the the early eighties.
2: Well, Kevin wow. Flynn had something going for him that he did that income money
1: <laughs> um okay. Question, did you, either of you catch the cameo of Pac-Man in the movie?
2: Yes, yes. But I, I'll be honest, I didn't catch it. I had seen the image ahead of time, and, okay. and when it popped up on screen, I was like...
1: <gasps> kind of the same thing. I didn't catch it when I was a kid, like the first time I saw it, oh, but no, later, later on, I was like, oh, Pac-Man, that's cool. Um, How the, much...
2: The, r slash movie (laughs) details subreddit has that picture pop up about once a fortnight
1: the design of things like the recognizers and the the light cycles were I thought that was really interesting for like early 80s kind of design because those light cycles just looked out of this world like how much do you want one of those or yeah because I know I do
0: still well if you look at a lot of um kind of 80s sci-fi and like the 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 folders design like you would get at a folder you would buy Mm, right or even like the synth wave design that's really popular now that that takes all those 80s concepts you know they're all from stuff like tron that 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 cycle has become so i want to say inspirational for people who want to do future cycles like in almost any futuristic movie that uses a motorcycle from here on, I feel like always kind of takes some sort of inspiration from Tron. And just kind of does motorcycle
2: and Akira and look like that without and Tron. And
0: they almost right. always talk about the life of Tron.
1: Yeah. No, you're you're right. Um and, and even the updated version they had in Tron Legacy uh didn't deviate a ton from that original kind of design concept and design no, language that they used.
0: And, I mean, I think that's why you have certain things in Tron Legacy. Like, there's no reason for Tron Legacy to have a light cycle battle other than to show off the white cycle in the technology we have now. Right. They
2: did update the uh, disc battles, though. Yes.
1: Yeah, because um, that was interesting how they were using the discs a lot more in this. Tron was to block stuff. Um, and I kind of wish that Tron Legacy had also... Um, had a scene with that weird High lie style game that he was playing for like one scene. <laughs> yeah. Um, because that was that was something interesting. I mean,
2: I love that the discs were just frisbees. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that's all. Just, just frisbees painted with frisbees. painted lines, and 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 they don't even hide it even a no, little bit.
1: Not at all. Not even a touch. Uh, I mean, the costuming was. It's interesting because it's so iconic and so memorable, and yet when you really pay attention to it, and especially if you watch like a good you know Blu-ray transfer or the stream on Disney Plus, you can see like mm-hmm. Sark's costume where the material would bunch up and like fold in on itself by his helmet. Yes, and his leaning it's back, it's so and
0: stuff. It Like is. it works from a design perspective of what it's supposed to be, but when you see what they were working with, I mean, this is this is a lot of low-budget movies. There's a lot of great ideas. And you just work with what you got to execute. Yeah. And they were able to do it well enough that you know it paid off. But yeah, I mean, you can easily see some of the, the cracks in that with specifically yeah, specific us at the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm.
2: So, so you, you talked about designs of the light cycles and the recognizers, which the recognizers I think are great. I think they look like a Galaga
1: mm-hmm. monster yeah, coming to life. Oh, definitely it's
2: awesome. Uh, but I do want to point out Sark's, like, sh- carrier ship thing. Oh,
1: that thing was so cool. Gorgeous. Just, yes. I mean, out of this world, cool, big, big, huge. Like, you really get a sense for how big that thing is because they, the way they use it in the movie, too.
2: Yeah. And that's a Sid Mead design. Rest in peace, Sid Mead. Just classic designs yes
1: love love that a ton um the recognizers in tron legacy got a bit of an upgrade instead of having the legs kind of fold in to the middle when they'd come down they would land and then the whole upper platform would lower down which i thought was interesting uh i think that was a limitation of like what they had just in terms of Technology back then. Because, you know, this movie is also really well known for the amount of computer-generated imagery that it used. And early on, I mean, this is like pre-CGI anything. They literally would have to render out images and then film the screens in order to get these on. (laughs) And it would take them sometimes up to six hours to render a single frame. One twenty-fourth of a second. It would take six hours to render out. So there's only probably about 15 minutes, 20 minutes of, of actual CG stuff in the movie. Um, but boy, is it memorable? I mean, the light cycles mm-hmm. and then when the light cycles come off the grid and it's interesting because I always, I always think about this movie where the light cycles can only make 90 degree turns, but they really, it's not that it's just when they're on the grid, that's all they can do. Cause as soon as they yeah. get off the grid, they're swooping and driving like actual motorcycles
0: do. And they do that which more is a in handy Tron Legacy, but as we talked about that, um, the the limitations of computer games at the time were the same. You know, you only went in for angles and everything like that. Whereas now you can basically curve more realistically, which is what they do in Tron Legacy. I, I really love that that touch where everything that has I would I guess. Um, Evolved in computer games, they brought that future legacy. I like I like I like seeing these of ends of the beginning and modern like computer gaming.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And you know, obviously, animation style, animation wise, they they were limited, so they had a lot of it's real sharp angles and everything on this. Right.
2: Um, it was funny to me. There were a few scenes where. They definitely had something that was traditionally animated
0: Mm -hmm. that
2: that was just kind of overlaid and and, but drawn in the style because like the straight line wasn't quite as straight as it could be. (laughs) Well, part of that was that they
1: couldn't have any scenes, any shots with both computer generated imagery and live action shots. They just didn't have a way of of really compositing that at the time, I guess. So there, there was a lot of matte paintings for backgrounds and then they would, uh, you know, work things in. I also thought, um, it was kind of cool to read that all of the footage shot inside the computer was, um, the filming term is locked off where the camera doesn't move. There's Mm. no camera moves inside the computer and anything that had that was like fudged in some way with some animation but they would, uh, I guess, from what I was reading, and it's got to be because of the high contrast shooting they were doing with the black and white. Because if you have a camera moving with that, it's, all it's going to be is motion blur. It's just going to be right Frame That's probably a good blur. point. Because they had, um, they talked about they would bring the camera in, in these, with these metal tripods that had like big bat wings on them. They could nail, they basically nailed them to the floor. And the quote was, You couldn't move the camera if you hit it with a car,
0: which I thought was, <laughs> was kind of funny. Um, uh, my, my one main criticism of this movie is what I call the Tron problem because you have Jeff Bridges as this user who has this kind of Luke Skywalker sort of authority to manipulate the grid and everything but you also have Tron as this chosen one program and I feel that the story never really settles on who you're supposed to really root for as the hero because you have Flynn even you know, but then we're also introduced to the idea of Tron. Tron is this great program, this great hero. And I feel like the movie kind of goes back and forth on who they want you to really go in with.
1: Yeah. No, I, I get some of that. I mean, it it's titled Tron. And yet Tron what? is not your main character. Your main character is Kevin Flynn. I remember as a kid even after i'd seen it for the first time because of how young i was when i saw it i kept thinking of jeff bridge's character as tron until i that's saw it a second lot. time
0: exact same thing yeah
2: yeah that's actually something i've had a harder time to to deal with
0: oh i'm sure mostly, it will.
2: When, it co- mostly when it comes to the 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 love triangle
0: yeah that in both was the
2: real world and the computer world
0: it's it's it rough because Jeff Bridges is bringing his baggage from the real world onto this program. Yeah, and she
1: didn't ask for any of that like
0: Yeah. It's 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 a pretty icky scene when you think about it.
2: It just doesn't make any sense. Oh, we thought you were dead. Yeah, no, that
1: that it's scene like, what? Yeah, like that whole that whole part of it. I can understand him seeing her and remembering his feelings for Lori, but at the same time, like he has no problem separating Tron and Alan. Once he yeah. learns that it's Tron, he should have been able to by that point figure out and separate separate those. That that felt like a, a forced thing, like I don't know. I didn't well, it, I, I never liked
0: does, that. It turns the, the program character into just an object where you've had all the other characters being fully three dimensional, and then she's just there as part of the echo point for his romantic ideas of of this character yeah which
2: is sad because i think the character's presence is actually cool she's the computer that runs the laser stuff
0: yeah yeah yeah. no i i I agree I, i wish they could be a little bit more with that but by just kind of regulating her to be as soon as tron's on kind of under the thrall of Jeffrey's character, it just—I it, don't know—it it,
1: just—it feels. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I did not know this. I was reading some some in, uh, info and trivia. Tron is a debugging command in basic programming, and I did not realize that it's, it stands for trace on. According to Steve Leisberger, who who directed this, he didn't he didn't know that he was trying to short electronic, um, and then he found out later that that part of it. Which I believe, because based on the way computers are brought about in this, I don't th- I think he had a basic idea of it, but I don't think he knew, yeah. hmm. ironically, basic uh, language. But I thought that was that was <laughs> neat. I did not know that that was a command in the basic programming language.
2: Well, similarly, Clue is codified likeness utility. Right. But I don't know whether that's a, a movie term or a real term.
1: I think that was created, because they never give it that... Um, that name in this, that doesn't come about until legacy. Mm. So he's just called clue. Yeah. For whatever reason. Um, the, okay. So I do want to talk a little bit about music in this because you having drew, having seen Tron legacy first, you were exposed to that outstanding Daft Punk, uh, soundtrack and score. This movies was Different, but I don't think any less like groundbreaking in in a lot of ways because it mixed different techniques and different styles. You had your your some digitized stuff, and you had analog synthesizers, and you had kind of orchestral things as well. And the music was done by let me find it here, Wendy Carlos, um, and. She used the same Moog synthesizer. So she had done the uh, soundtracks for A Clockwork Orange and The Shining uh, prior to this. And she also used a digital synthesizer. So it did. It, it used kind of this hybrid of three different music generations or music styles. It's nowhere near as good as the Daft Punk stuff, in my opinion. But look, yeah, I would to agree it. with that. I mean, it's, it's still pretty solid, for, especially for its time.
2: So the thing for me is that I noticed more times in the movie where there was no ambient sound. They, they I, I don't know whether that was purposeful or 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 unintentional, where they just you'd have characters talking and it would feel dead silent behind them.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: And and, and 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 I don't know whether that was just because there isn't nature, because they're inside a computer. It's not like there's a. Cyberbird flying around, making a, but, but, but again, Twitter. you have the, the Daft Punk soundtrack that just permeates so much of legacy.
1: Yeah. Well, and some of that I think comes from a different, uh, a different sort of philosophy of musical scores. Cause if you listen to, and you watch movies from the seventies and eighties, there are a lot of movies that had moments with just no music at all.
2: And you're right yeah. about that.
1: So I it's think that, it's that. more, probably more that than anything else, but you're right. There was, and, and then you would get like the, the interesting sound of like footsteps and that slight echo you would get where it, you could tell it was being shot in a sound stage and they sort of went with that. as like, this is what the computer is going to sound like.
0: <laughs>
1: um, yeah. Oh, no, when- I, I do
0: agree that where you're talking about the, a different approach to scoring, because I feel like now there's more of a tendency to, Almost overscore your movies. Like you have to have X amount of music for your entire film, so you can fill a soundtrack. You can put on your streaming services and on vinyl, and and then it was more of a tool to emphasize things in the film or or make certain moments happen. And and still used that way today. But I I feel like there's more of a focused effort that scores have to be a certain length and a certain type of thing now, whereas in this movie, there was less thought process. On, oh, how many songs do we have? It's, does this sound fit this moment? Was this apt as the sound for this moment? Yeah. And I, I feel like that's a lot, a lot less prevalent today.
1: Yeah, that's a good way to put it, too. Um, Did either of you notice, this is another little Easter egg thing for me, uh, in Alan's cubicle, the sign that he has? Mm-mm. Uh his there's a sign on the side of his cubicle that says Gort Clatu Barata Nikto.
2: I did see that. No. Yeah, yeah, I love that.
0: That's that's awesome.
1: So, that's that he you see that right when he stands up to leave and you hear the guy uh popcorn coworker asking for work. I remember
2: I remember seeing it like, "Oh, nice." And then obviously I completely forgot about it until you mentioned it just now.
1: Yeah, there were a few things like that that they sort of never really like Fleshed out, um, but that was a, that was a fun little uh, Easter egg. Um, I, I kind of wanted that
2: uh, somebody who was a, a computer programmer in the eighties would
0: be into.
1: Oh yeah, sci-fi from stuff.
0: The... Well, I... it's also it's it's fun to see that movie in a pre Army of Darkness because yes. now whenever I hear that that phrase, I think Army of Darkness, and right. not the day the Earth is still.
1: That's a very good point.
2: I always thought that Ash. Uh why couldn't he remember it? It was a classic line. <laughs> who doesn't yeah. know that?
1: Oh, that's a that is a classic moment in movies though. Um yeah.
0: no it actually absolutely is, but like as as someone who I mean I saw trauma when I was a kid, but I did not I obviously didn't see the sign and and I saw Army Darkness sooner than, than I learned this information. I, I would have always been like, Man, that's a, that's an Army Darkness line.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Like up until probably I would say my early 20s, I would have done the same thing. Then then I started yeah. diving into old sci-fi, and that's when I learned about The Day the Earth Stood Still. And then, then they remade that, which was terrible. Let's not talk about yeah, that
0: anymore. I mean, I look, I love Keanu. Hey, Keanu. I do too. It was
1: just so boring.
0: It's, it's a bad it's – it's exactly – and the thing is, you can be bad and that's fine. But if you're boring, and especially for science fiction –
1: That's the cardinal sense. sin. Yeah, don't be boring. Which I have talked to some people who um, could not get into Tron because it felt too much like a late 70s, early 80s kind of sci-fi movie and the pace that it yes. moves at was too slow for them. So they would not like an hour and 45 or a two-hour long version of this
0: movie.
1: <laughs> I don't have no. a problem with that because this the movie – Establishes everything. So you're not left questioning, like, well, how does that work? How does, what is this? Where did that come from? Because they take the time to, they don't just throw you in and say, here's a new world. Have fun. Good luck. Like they, they take sure. the time to give you an anchor point and make you, give you reasons to understand what's going on.
2: Well, there is a, specific comparing it to lift. other. Sorry, Drew.
1: Was... All right. Uh, Drew.
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> I win. Uh, so you mentioned comparing it to other like late 70s early 80s sci-fi movies and it's it's funny i, I think about two movies when it comes to this uh, uh 2001 a space odyssey and star trek the motion picture yes uh and i mm-hmm. guess star wars but and you can throw little... that in there too but <laughs> but but where you have in in space odyssey and and In definitely in motion picture, which is very clearly trying to do Star Trek as 2001. Mm. Uh, You have these long six and a half minute shots of the outside of the Enterprise Mm -hmm. or of this alien V'ger thing that they make this big thing that they course the camera through. And it's all cool. But it's a little. Yeah, in Star Trek, I I, I feel like if they had had the budget or the capability to do that with these CG creations that they made, they would have, but they didn't. So we don't.
1: Probably, I think we would have gotten more more Close Encounters of the Third Kind than we would have Star Trek the Motion Picture, because Close Encounters of the Third Kind is a movie that takes its time and really will establish shots and and work with them but there's always a purpose and it's always moving forward. I felt like motion Star Trek, the motion picture had these long drawn out shots that were just there to look at. They didn't serve a purpose of moving the story forward. And that's Whew. the difference between it and 2001, 2001 is weird and esoteric as that movie can be. And Kubrick is his own ball game. He still was serving the purpose of the story he was trying to tell. Uh, I think better. And, and the, I, I would hope that if they had had the technology to really draw out the shots in Tron that they would have done more Close Encounters in 2001. I fear because Liesberger was such a young filmmaker at the time, we would have gotten closer to something like a, like a Star Trek The Motion Picture.
2: Yeah, Um, I'm seeing some commentary in in uh, about uh, Star Trek: The Motion Picture and Star Trek: Phase Two. If you'd like to learn more about this whole uh, movie and TV series, uh, (laughs) themorinera dot com. uh, You can find our episode. uh, It's best returns Star Trek: The Motion
0: Picture. There you go. Yeah, I was going to say that, 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 that those long panning shots in Star Trek: The Motion Picture. The last time I watched it, I absolutely ate it up. Like it completely worked for me. I yes. get they are long and kind of boring, but there is if you were in the specific move for that kind of science fiction, that that optimistic, slow moving, like exploratory idea, I feel like that movie really does capture the spirit of Star Trek in a very specific way. And maybe because I was, you know, we were in the midst of everything going on now that that kind of fierce optimism was so like but, drawing for me. But I think there's also a time frame. Mm-hmm. If, I was a, if I was a kid,
2: I did not like motion picture when I was a kid. I thought it was slow and I thought it was boring. Well, so that's like Tron, which keeps the pace up.
0: It does. But so uh, when I rewatched this movie for uh, when we watched it on The More You Nerd, uh, my girlfriend Krista was watching it with me and she loved the visual style. She loved the color. She liked the story. But there is a certain time period, especially at at this point in science fiction, where you have these big ideas at play, these dynamic ideas at play. But visually, it's not always incredibly dynamic for especially for people who have been brought up on on quicker paced films through no fault of anyone's it's just a you know an observation and so while she really liked a lot of the movie and she liked the characters and she liked the story she felt the movie started to drag even even in moments where it was being really exciting ideally it didn't quite translate on the screen there there are these moments of uh, quiet and not a lot going on on screen. And and because of the, the limitations they had that were like, if you're like really, really into science fiction, especially if you read a lot of hard sci-fi, that's not a big deal for you. But if you are someone who is uh your everyday movie goer, that can come off a little boring.
1: Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I will say like I was more compelled with, the scene of Tron, Ram, and Flynn when they found the source, the power source, the water, and they were just like in that weird spot off the grid, and they were drinking the water and just like geeking out about that. I was more compelled by that it's than that, I was
2: that scene. <laughs> so I had forgotten about that scene until you just brought it up because that that's some weird stuff.
1: It is to me. It is, but I like I was more compelled with that scene than I was with. Pretty much anything that happened on the Solar Sailor. That to me, the Solar Sailor stuff felt really dull, and I think it's maybe because I never got the sense that they were on a moving platform on any of the mm. close up shots. So I don't know.
2: The the scene with the water is or the energy, I guess, uh is both literally and figuratively more grounded.
1: Yeah. It really and, is. But I, I think that's
2: t-
0: also maybe a of limitation of the, I'm sorry, Miles. Sorry. I I always took it as them kind of getting high. They're all like in this or getting drunk. Like they're all kind of like taking this power and they're giggling. And as, as Travis said, you know, Flynn's kind of a hippie and they, he's, he's totally into this grid, man. And it, it's built that way, but it's built subtly enough that if you're not really queuing into it, you're not going to see it. But if it's, if it's just a blink and you miss it thing, Disney will allow it. But (laughs) if that scene had carried on a little bit longer, I feel like it would have been super, super obvious that these guys are, are on that sticky icky.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yep, definitely. (laughs) Um, so one thing I wanted to bring up about this movie that didn't appear in Tron legacy, and I kind of wish it had, and they, they really, it's only in one scene in, I both wanted more of it and yet realized that had they put more of it in there, I would have hated it very quickly. And that was the bit that shows up when he rebuilds the recognize. Yeah. It seems so out of place. It did seem out of place. And yet it's like part of me wants more. Like if they had made that the, the bits sort of prevalent, like programs had these bits that would follow them around. I could I could see that but you're right it it feels out of place but I kind of wanted more of it and I captured the audio of it saying yes and no just because I thought it was it sounded cool but they and by the time of Tra- the legacy Travis, there's like none of it
2: one question uh-huh do you want more bit no. you don't want more bit no. okay you do want more bit no. Okay, but you said it w- wasn't or was it not in Tron Legacy? No. It wasn't in Tron Legacy. <laughs> we planned this, this
0: bit this, at a this time. This bit is going on for too long. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It was one of those things it did. It felt so weirdly out of place, and yet maybe it's because of how out of place it felt. Like I, I felt like I wanted to see more of it, or I wanted to at least see it with another character. Because you get it with Clue, and then you get it with Flynn, and that's it.
2: That's right. It was with Clue at the beginning, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah.
1: Yeah, there was a bit so, with Clue. Yeah.
2: Was it the same bit?
1: That I don't know. I it, I can't I get, imagine it, it was, like, but...
2: It feels like one of those things that was in the script, but got pared down, and they could afford the one scene, or I guess yeah. the two scenes.
1: Like, there's part of me that thinks I want more of the bit, or I want to see the bit more, and then I realize, no... More of the bit is going to be Orko and He Man, and I'm going to hate it. And I'm just going to want to burn it and kill it, cleanse it with fire. So,
2: well, we get to try
0: yeah, uh, and three uh, Orko from the DC comics, which yeah. they did a great job with Orko there. Fair enough.
2: Uh, but we get to Tron three, and we get the uh, the bit that's the personal assistant.
1: Yeah, and it's voiced by Peter. You see, that, I
2: wouldn't have minded that as a personal
0: assistant, kind of PA type thing.
1: Yeah, and I think that's that was the concept. Like, honestly, I think that was supposed to be the concept and it just felt, I don't know, weirdly tacked on, but yet I wanted more of it and I didn't. So, you know, it was both a, and also, so <laughs> take that for what you will. Um,
2: uh, apparently uh, the bit shows up in the Auto Man TV series. Oh, well then. Which Auto Man is Automatic Man or something about, it was a, as. a, a, a Mid 80s TV series that used the same backlit filming uh, for his costume.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't remember much of that. I I remember the name,
2: but. I I only know it for doing research for Tron.
1: (laughs) Well, there you go. Um, Okay, so one of the things I'd like to ask is uh, it sounds like all three of us are kind of Jeff Bridges fans. So mm-hmm. now, now I'll start with Drew. Now that you've seen both Tron and Legacy, and you can put it into the pantheon and uh, the CV of Jeff Bridges, where would you put this? As far as like Kevin Flynn is a character for, for him.
2: Ooh. So I, I see, I see Kevin Flynn as proto dude, and we talked a little bit about this at the, at the beginning in that. All this stuff, like he got a little bit of, of, of heat for for Flynn in Tron Legacy being, oh, hey, man, you're harshing my yoga, or not my yoga, my... Uh, my, my uh,
1: Oh, yeah, you're, you're messing up my Zen.
2: Messing up my Zen thing, man. And uh, I don't know, because I, I can see so much of that character
0: 20 years earlier. Mm-hmm. But it's also likely that people didn't watch Tron again before Legacy, or they yeah. just wanted to have to out.
2: Well, also the the dude is just maybe his most iconic character of all time.
1: Yeah, that's true. And this is from you know an actor who's played the dude, Rooster Cogburn, uh, Starman, and see, I was gonna bring out Starman, and because uh, Starman to me is. Uh, I think some of Starman came out of Clue, the early version of Clue in this movie. I think he took that and and really made Starman that like to, you know, took it to a different level, but Mm. because Starman's very, you know, very tense and very uh, quick movement and very quick speaking. So I don't know. I mean, I, I will say this. I put Kevin Flynn for me, um, if I were to make a Mount Rushmore of of Jeff Bridges characters, Kevin Flynn, the dude, um, you know, I loved him in The Fisher King uh, as the shock jock.
0: Yeah. I. I, I That's a great movie anyway.
1: Yeah. Well, Terry Gilliam. I mean, I can watch Terry Gilliam all day.
0: Yeah. I mean, he's, he's had a lot of great roles, but as far as are we talking about the first film or are we talking about both? Kevin Flynn's.
1: You can take both because it's really one right. character he got to play more than once. So, yeah, you know, he doesn't always get to do that. Whether it's because it's a one-off, like Big Lebowski, or his character gets killed off, like say, an Obadiah Stane in Iron Man, right? Um, you know, but it, it those show some of his range. But no, you can you can kind of bring both I
2: in. Forgot it was an Iron Man.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, I mean, there's plenty of times he's been nominated for an Oscar, mostly his Best Supporting Actor uh with Starman being the i think the only time he was nominated for best actor.
1: No, he won so, for uh what did he win for? Wild at heart? No, not Wild at heart. That's a Nick Cage movie. That's Nick Cage. Um he won a few wow. years ago. He won it was the year before, I think it was 2009 because it was the year before crazy he heart. played He crazy won, won crazy for that's Crazy
2: Heart.
0: Thank you.
1: I knew it was something heart. Um Hey, I love
0: movies about out and down country Western singers.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I mean, that's me. Crazy Heart, he's great in. Um, Yeah. You know, he can play caricatures like he did in, you know, RIPD or even to an extent Rooster Cogburn is a bit of a caricature. But he he does. He really gets into his roles without like being a crazy method actor. He yes. can somehow embody these characters really well.
0: I, I feel like he's always, no matter what role he plays, he's always kind of Jeff Bridges. Does that makes any sense?
1: Yeah,
0: it does. Um, but I'm also charmed far, by that, as as so it doesn't trend. bother me. In terms of enjoyability, I mean, it's 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 definitely my top five.
1: Yeah, it, there's something about the way that you get to see a young version of this guy in his early 20s and then this older, zend out, kind of dude where you see the progression of him. I think that helps yeah. make the character... I well, think if you only had the first Tron movie, Kevin Flynn's fine, but he's not spectacular. But now getting to see him down the road as both a father to not only Sam, but to kind of to Cora in Tron Legacy, and you just get to see this evolution of the man.
2: Well, and there is an important thing in Tron Legacy that, that gets ignored a lot, and that's those late eighties flashbacks of him and Sam as a kid. And he's kind of the bridge point between early Kevin and late Kevin.
1: Yeah, that's true. And, and I like that they did that because it made you get a sense that, no, he is actually a decent uh, person. He's trying to be a good dad. He just also wants to be part of this world and this grid and, and do some new amazing things. Yeah, I think overall, I, I like it. I, I love this movie. I want more in this world. I, I, it actually made me want to play some of the um, games, like Tron 2.0, or there was a, a game that came out right around the time of Tron Legacy, too. Um,
0: yeah, I can't remember what it was called, but I've I do i I've been tempted to go into Tron 2.0. <laughs> it's
1: or, 10 bucks on Steam right now. Well, there you go. I might have to go drop 10 bucks on that, or even watch the um, Tron Uprising. The the yeah. one season that they did of that, I think
0: is. I am way on more Plus. interested
2: in that at the at the time or at this point. Like, well, that I mean, just...
0: as Clone as was approved, you can do a prequel cool animated series and be amazing. So I'm I'm excited to check it out because I've I saw an episode back when it came out and really enjoyed it, but just wasn't following up in Disney all the time.
2: Well, that's Disney releasing three episodes here and four right. episodes here and all of that. So so yeah, I, I did I, Bradley Falls. Yeah, I do want to mention because as we've talked about this, the Tron Three rumors are starting to rumble again. Yep. So Jared Lido still involved mm-hmm. somehow. We'll see.
1: We'll see what that ends up being.
2: So, as as someone who is kind of new to the Tron world, where would you guys see Tron Three
1: in terms of like where the story could go?
2: Yeah. Oh,
1: that's interesting because you've got Legacy which ended with Sam and Cora leaving the computer system and coming out into the real world. And there are no isos. She used the last of the isos, which is something brought up in Tron Legacy of these like sentient programs that just manifested. Oh man, I don't I would like to see some sort of a mixture of like clue clue was trying to make a play to get into the real world for whatever reason. Um, Cause clue was created in that movie to create the perfect system. That's why he was written that version of clue. So I, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where I'd want that to go. I want some sort of a mixture of the two worlds though.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely at this point, I, w- I want more of what I didn't get in legacy, which is Korra. I think Corey needs to be kind of the focus of the movie as let, let's, let's fix the character problem in this series and, and focus on one particular character. You can have Sam there. You can write him out. I don't care. Mm-hmm. As Travis said last week, he's kind of milk toast through no fault of the actor, but it's just, he's there. Yeah. He doesn't really do anything. He's along for the ride. He's, he's only there because of who he is and who his dad is. Um, I think it could be interesting to bring Jeff Bridges back. You know, we don't know that Clue or uh, Flynn are dead. Um, but I definitely want to see dead. more things happen with uh, uh, something. Drew, you touched on is other grids, other users, and the idea that you can come out into the real world. But I feel like that. I feel like Cora needs to be the focus as the last ISO. Like they set up something that they can absolutely use and finally have this this hero's journey character, and they need to really utilize that.
1: I know what it is I want out of that
0: movie.
1: I want Ed Dillinger's son, who has a cameo appearance in Tron Legacy, played by Killian Murphy. I want him to find out about Korra, and he wants to figure out, and he, he wants that, like... Because Dillinger basically stole a bunch of stuff from Flynn, right? All these video games. Yeah. I want his son to try and steal Cora I'm and what she is as an ISO from Sam. That's what I want. There's a compelling story there because now you can tie the two together and it makes sense that Dillinger's son who's worked so hard to get back into this company would, would still fall back to something like that. Right. Because it's, you know, it's a family trait. That's what I want.
2: So, so I want to add to that. You take all of that. And you wrap that up into a Jared Leto as a user leader of a cult inside a grid. I mean, a cult mixed of users and programs.
1: I mean, if it can be instead of if it could not be Jared Leto, can can we?
2: It's it's probably going to be Jared Leto. Damn
0: it! Fine. I don't see how Disney sees him as bankable. I don't either. But apparently He's they an do. Oscar winner. Yeah. I'll tell you one thing. I want is if they bring back Cora and they get Olivia Wilde. I want Jesse Deaver and BD Feldstein to have a cameo as two like goofy programs doing yes. something. For, uh, they're the main uh, protagonists from Booksmart, yes, which is oh. Olivia Wilde's uh, directorial film. Let and that happen. It, it would be amazing.
1: That would be that would be awesome. No, I, I, oh, I baby. look forward to what they can come up with, with it. And, and I'm cautiously optimistic. And the only reason I'm cautiously optimistic is I've seen too many times where a sequel that takes longer to put out, they, they overthink it and they try to do too much. And if you try to do mm-hmm. too much, you end up not doing too much.
2: Mm-hmm. So this is something we talked a little bit about uh, on our episode uh, last week. Disney definitely has plans for Tron. Mm-hmm. There is a Tron focused ride going into the Magic Kingdom at Disney World within the next year. They've got the sign up. They've had the sign up for 2 years. It's happening. It's based off of a ride from Hong Kong Disney. Obviously theme parks are a little weird right now. Yeah. But yeah. You, they don't invest that on a named ride without having some plan for something to promote that named ride.
1: Oh, absolutely. No, there's there's some sort of tie-in. What that'll be is hard to say, but I, like I say, I'm going to have some cautious optimism and hope that uh, they do it justice because I think there's a really interesting world that they can still tell stories in.
0: Absolutely. I, I think the, the ground is very fertile for more Tron stories. Even outside of the Kevin Flynn you know, or the, or the Flynn storyline. Oh, totally. I think there's a lot they could do with the concept. I don't want them to reboot Tron in any way, shape, or form, but I think there are more no. stories you can tell in that universe if you can't go the route that you want to go. If you can't get Olivia Wilder, if you can't get Jeff Bridges or What's His Bucket that played Sam, like you can tell other interesting stories within the context of that world.
2: Absolutely. You know what's funny? We've talked about rebooting Tron here. This is the only movie where rebooting is a concept that... <laughs> within the world. Within the world that can yeah. work. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's true. And yet it's the one we don't want to have it done in. <laughs>
2: yeah. There's
1: there's some sort of irony in that. Um, oh, So something I noticed watching it this time around, and so I had to do a little bit of research on this, and I want to touch on this just because I thought this was really neat um, from a computer aspect of things. Because all the time when you're dealing with movies that have computers in them, number one, it dates the movie immediately. But number two, the, the jargon that they will use is oftentimes either misused or misquoted or in some way wrong. I thought it was interesting that Flynn, the first time he's logging into the computer and trying to get Clue in there, he says, uh, "He says this. Where did it go? Right here."
2: Come on, you scuzzy data
1: be in there! And he says, "Scuzzy data." Here's the interesting thing. I didn't catch
2: thing. it until you just placed it.
1: So here's the you cool thing. Scuzzy, the small computer system interface or SCSI, which is like input/output stuff, wasn't created until 1986.
0: Oh, wow. So
1: did this movie sort of become a precursor for the term SCSI in terms of like SCSI ports and SCSI data? Or
0: Well, you got to oh, think. Man. This movie has been loved by nerds since it came out. Right. And the guys who made SCSI or girls that made SCSI were probably 100%. They weren't 100% nerds. They yeah, making so- computer programs. So, yeah, absolutely. This, I just they thought that was cool. if they
2: didn't mean for it to be called Scuzzy, Right. It was called SCSI because of this. I want that. I want this to be true.
1: I, I do too. And so I just thought that was really cool. And I had to look up. I'm yeah. like, okay, when did when was SCSI created? And I look and it's like, the uh, the ancestral SCSI standard, generally referred to as SCSI 1, was published, Technical Committee, in 1986. And this movie came out in 1982. So SCSI data was coined by I never want to use Kevin a Flynn.
2: SCSI port again. No. Me but either. I do want this to be true.
1: Um... Oh, so this movie, there was two things also I want to touch on just because I thought they were hilarious. Number one was when uh, the master control program calls in Dillinger. So he flies in on the helicopter, which, A, I want that damn helicopter. How cool did that look? (laughs) But, B, he walks into the office and there's a guy standing in his office, right? So he's in, like, the penthouse executive suite office. And Dillinger walks in and there's a dude just standing in the room staring out the window. And they have this exchange.
2: Good evening, Mister Dillinger. Thank you, Peter. You can go now. Yes, sir.
1: And that's it. And he just walks out. Like, what was his point? Why was he there?
2: So again, we mentioned the 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 popcorn guy and Ram. Mm -hmm. There is another actor who is uh, uh, Sarks' kind of lieutenant that also has a counterpart in the real world.
1: Was that that same guy? Maybe. No, that's Peter. That's someone else. Peter did he not just say Peter? Wait, let me. Maybe hold on.
2: Good evening, Mister Dillinger. Thank you, Peter. You can go now. Okay. Yes,
1: Yes, it was. So that's that's his whole reason for being there. Is give him a real world. (laughs) Just put him in a suit and throw him in the corner. He'll he'll have one line. It just cracked me up. He's like he's just waiting there for him, and he he shows up. Good evening. Yeah, you can go. Okay, I'll leave. Uh, That and then this movie fell trap to the exposition. Thing where a character is giving exposition of stuff that the audience doesn't know, but the the anybody involved in the conversation in world knows. <laughs> and that was Dillinger talking about Encom, right? Uh, how they're being publicly traded, and they're buying this, and they've got this most sophisticated thing. And I just love that they're doing all of that. And then, um, what is it? Uh, not, Walter Gibbs, the the old man doctor, Doctor Walter, um, just says,
0: "Oh, I know all that." Like
1: that that made me laugh when I was watching it again. I'm like, oh thank you. You've you've basically written in and acknowledged that you're just dumping exposition on us.
2: You're telling me about my own company. I yeah. know this <laughs>
1: Yeah. Uh the prophetic line was this one. I have to play this.
0: Computers and the programs will start thinking and the people will stop.
1: And boy if that ain't true. Like think about like search algorithms and and all these algorithms and programming that we do nowadays just so people don't have to think as much. It's really been happening.
2: You know, it's funny. I I was listening to uh, the office ladies podcast, which is about watching the office with the two of the actresses are on it. Mm -hmm. And, and they're focusing on one moment in an episode where a character is sitting outside and she's just holding her phone. And it's an old flip phone
1: because
2: mm-hmm. it's like 2005. Oh, right. And someone comes up to her and says, oh, are you waiting on a call? But nowadays we're on our phones all the time. Right. And if most had, people if never. If it was a smartphone. Right. It would just be de rigueur.
1: Yeah. And not only that, but most people never use their phone for phone calls anymore. Like <laughs> I know that. many people that are like, don't <laughs> ever call me ever. Like I don't ever want you to call me. It's weird. Um, <laughs> I mentioned. Well, we mentioned popcorn guy, and
0: you think I can have some of your popcorn?
1: Like <laughs> he's almost. He's like scared to ask him too. You can hear a little hitch in his voice. Um,
0: Alan has a temper.
1: Yeah, I guess. Uh, oh,
0: yeah, and there must be a popcorn sort- shortage because, like, who's who wants someone else's popcorn?
1: Right, especially all
0: the popcorn. Which, which means it done the microwave. Like it wasn't like.
1: Yeah, it wasn't well, like, it's not good popcorn. It's been sitting for who knows how long. Um, uh, I did like how in the programs, the way they would talk, because it was a lot of them were conscripted into the games. And uh, I just like this line.
2: Who does he calculate he is?
1: Because that, like, it fits. It fits the world that they've yeah. created. So,
2: And they all have different measurements of time. They have different, yeah. uh, it's... Like the the whole idea that, that that Kevin Flynn is in the entire movie or in, in the grid from when it starts printing out to when it stops printing out.
1: Yeah. So that was interesting to me in that they've established how that laser works in the beginning of the movie. And they show it, digitize a, an orange, and then reconstruct it a few seconds later. But then when we were talking last week, you had mentioned that it, you weren't sure like how long he had been in there or how the timing worked. And I think some of that gets thrown off by the fact that Laura tells him, you know, hey, you can be in here all night if you need to, right before he goes in. And then you get an hour of movie where he's in the computer and then he pops back out. So these are little things that I didn't, I've never noticed before. And this last rewatch, I was like, oh, well, that could be confusing because here she is telling him it only take, you know, he can have all night if he needs to. And we don't get right. the, the full concept of the time that he's gone.
0: Yeah, so. that, that was something I brought up last week and I had a problem with because I wasn't sure until Tron Legacy where they kind of give the idea that, you know, time moves differently in the real world and in the grid. And like I said, I, I thought that was a reason to kind of, you know, fix that mm-hmm. because it was never really clear to at least me. Yeah. And I know that, you know, I just wasn't paying that much attention. And that's fine, but I that that's a great point. Like her saying that kind of fixes all those issues for this specific film.
1: Yeah. Um, one other audio clip I gotta play, and it's only because I don't think any of us are old enough to remember a time before you had like calculators as sort of an a ubiquitous thing, where you just had like mm-hmm. even simple calculators. But Alan saying this just threw me, and and really stamped this as like early eighties
0: have an abacus at home for that
1: talking about doing like his balancing his checkbook with an abacus <laughs> here's a guy whose job is writing computer software for a company that does banking and he talks about having an abacus at home and i'm like yep this was an early 80s late because that would have made sense then that's perfectly reasonable you wouldn't have had a calculator
2: well you would have had a slide rule Maybe. And that's, the th- and that's the thing that I think that maybe is funnier about this is that Alan doesn't use the slide rule. He is, is an abacus. He's an abacus man. <laughs> oh, well,
1: I, I want to thank both of you guys for coming on. This was a fun discussion. I love these movies in this world that they created, and it's just fun to I sit too. and talk about them. Um, you guys are great. Uh, we'll have to do this again. Um, either direction. Absolutely. You guys want to have me back. I'm more than happy to do that. And you're oh, welcome back anytime. Um, we'll have to find a movie. Miles hasn't seen.
0: Well, well you know, when I haven't seen, we talked about it last week.
1: Oh, that's right. Oh yeah, yeah. that's right. Oh, uh, remind me again. Cause it's been a week and my brain has,
0: you know, you, you just want me to, you just want to call me out. It was the big Lebowski. Okay. It yep. is a, it is a Jeff Bridges vehicle. <laughs> well, there
1: we go. Yes. Uh, well, we're going to do that one. That's on the list. Uh, it's just a question of when. Yep.
0: Because I'm sure you had a hard time finding someone who hasn't seen that movie at this point in time.
1: <laughs> honestly, in my circles, it has been a little difficult. But then again, I found somebody who hadn't seen The Princess Bride. So anything's possible, right? I mean, It's prince- true.
0: I mean, most people are really shocked when they hear that because I'm a big movie person. And yeah. that's one that just has slipped through.
1: So, yep, that'll, that'll be one. We'll have to, after Nicolas Cage Month, um, which starts next week, we're going to have to uh, schedule that. Because that'll be a fun one.
0: Which Nicolas Cage movies are you doing?
1: Oh, I've got it narrowed down. I've got to get the scheduling done for it, um, but it looks like uh, Lord of War is going to be one that we do. Um, Ghost Rider, I think, is going to make the list this year. Uh, nice. I wanted to do Wild at Heart, but it's not available anywhere online.
0: Anywhere. Wow. What about Matchstick? Men? What about uh, what uh, Valley Girl?
1: Oh, Valley Girl would be a good one. Matchstick Men, I wouldn't mind doing either because um, I actually haven't seen that one. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Well, Wild at Heart is one that I haven't seen either, and I was like, oh, I need to see this, and I go looking, and it's, you can't even buy it online anywhere. Like, it's just not available. So, I'll have to go searching eBay for a DVD.
0: Work, uh, or word of them doing either a Criterion or a Shop Factory release for that, if it hasn't happened already. Uh, two, two friends of mine who also have a podcast, the Psychotronic Film Society, uh, locally do screenings when, when can do that kind of thing at a local mm-hmm. music venue and they had a nick cage night where they did valley girl and wild at heart back to back as a okay. double feature and it was a uh, lot according of fun.
2: To, according to Phelan, it is on blu-ray yeah shout, shout factory.
1: factory has a blu-ray all right i might have to buy that then
0: yeah i figured it had a be shout or, or criterion
2: yeah
1: that might be worth it um but yeah we we did nicholas cage month last year and it was a ton of fun i saw vampires kiss for the first time which is just it's a fun movie just beautiful yeah uh, and I like to watch, you know, Lord of War is one that I want to show other people because it's a really good movie and he's really, really good in it. Um, and I like I would actually, to
0: honestly, for something new, uh, popping color out of space.
1: Oh yeah. That, that actually is on the short list too. Cause I enjoyed that quite a it's bit. A really,
0: it's a really, is really Lord of good War the on one where any... he's
2: the, uh, Russian post Soviet arms dealer? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yep.
1: So that's kind of an idea yeah. of what's coming up. Yeah, it's a, mm-hmm. this is the idea of what's coming up in the next couple of weeks uh, on the show here. Um, so I've got some some feelers out. We'll get that scheduled. I don't have anything nailed down yet, but pay attention to uh, uh, my Twitter, at TV's Travis, and I'll be, I'll be putting up info on there. Um, but, yeah, thanks, thanks, guys, for being on. This was a ton of fun. Thank you for uh, having us. Hey, thanks The More You us, Nerd. Man. The More You Nerd is a great show. Tell people about that, please. Uh,
2: yes, it, The More You Nerd is a fantastic show. Uh, We cover different topics in the nerd sphere in different uh, themes. Uh, So right now uh, we're doing franchise follies uh, where we got Tron and Tron 2, Speed and Speed 2, uh, Caddyshack and Caddyshack 2. And we are ending that with uh, the wonderful 1989 Tim Burton Batman and the 1997 Joel Schumacher Batman and Robin. So that will be yeah, our we, next we'll cover episode. Any,
0: any pretty much nerd medium. Uh, we 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 did uh, in May. We did anime, and we did uh, a watch through of all of season one of Ghost in the Shell: Standalone Complex. Oh, love that! Show. Uh, we we've shaken things up, but basically, if it if it's in video games, comics, movies, any, anything you can be a nerd about, we tend to go into it. A lot of times, uh, cheap is good, free is better. Uh, we used to take in challenges but now we're kind of leading our own ship for a little bit and see seeing how how we like it um but our our whole our whole goal for the most part is to expand people's nerd horizons and mostly in a more positive objective way the internet has a tendency to be very narrow fo- narrowly focused and it's easy to uh overly shout that the negativity and so we even if we are negative about something if we don't like something we don't we don't poo poo on it we we give our reasons for not liking it we also understand <laughs> except for caddy big fans of things <laughs> and there's no no wrong way to eat a Reese's. so if you're in it or about something we want to have you aboard and just have a good time
1: awesome yeah it's a great show and you guys were gracious enough to have me on which was great um but oh, we definitely. If you, if you like this show and you're listening to it, check out The More You Nerd because you'll like that too. Uh, right, so, yep. Um, coming up next week is going to be, as of yet, untitled Nicolas Cage film. Um, I will have details on that on my Twitter coming up. This show I record every Sunday night live, uh, so you can catch the live stream, hop in the chat room, talk to us like Phelan, like uh, Monkey Bananas, like the mighty Favog. Um and it comes out Wednesdays on, uh, as a podcast. So check it out there. Um, anywhere you can find podcasts we're there. If you listen to us on Twitch or not Twitch, um, Apple podcasts or Google podcasts, and you want to leave a review that helps kind of make the show more searchable and, and pop up on the, on the searches a lot better. So that's always a cool thing. Um, and we appreciate anybody that listens and anybody that reviews. Uh, and even if you don't write a review and you just want to listen, I I appreciate that too. Um, Right. So until next time, I always like to tell people, enjoy your movies. And in these weird times, really just be excellent to each other.